Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Can we thank our worship team again for this morning? Thank y'all so much for leading us. If I don't have the joy and privilege and honor of knowing you, my name is Jake Toman, and I uh, serve as the pastor here at Bessel Collective Church. And so thank you all so much for being here with us this morning, uh, whether you're a student returning for camp, you're a guest, or an every weeker. Uh, thank you for being here. Or if you've traveled all the way from Kathmandu, Nepal, to be with us. Thank you for being here this morning. I can't look in that general direction of the Sorensons, or I'll a bit emotional this morning. So, um, I, we, as you guys know, if you've been here this summer, we've been in a series talking about the kingdom of heaven, and it was a really powerful series where we, we discussed what does the kingdom of heaven look like, what does it mean for our lives, and what does it mean for our church. And, and I shared up front, but our mission statement is that we are called to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. And so we talked about that idea of kingdom of heaven, what that means, and what that means for our lives in our church. And so it, we, we finished that up last week uh, with our students and our children having a next-gen Sunday that was really incredible and really powerful. So thank you to everyone who was here for that and who participated in that service. So uh, for the second half of this summer, so for the end of July and into August, we're going to be starting a new series called Why We Gather. Why We Gather. And so this morning, when I, when I, I, I get here at the YMCA at 7.30 every morning. So if you're not doing anything at 7.30 and you like setting up chairs, I know a place where you can do that and fulfill your desire. But I, I, I get here at 7.30 and I unlock the door and the load in, load out team gets here. Um, and so Logan Parker and I got here at 7.30 uh, and shot baskets randomly enough before we got to work. Uh, but he just told me this. He said, uh, he said, man, I have been waiting all week for today. He's like, man, I've been waiting. I can't, I'm so excited about today. I'm so excited about Sunday. I've been waiting for this all week. And I just love that heart. And, and that speaks to me because I love my job and I love what I get to do. But my favorite thing, my favorite thing that's a part of my job is gathering on Sunday morning. When we come into this room and we get to do this. And I look forward to Sundays um, all week as well. And so um, that's really the heart of us talking about this idea of gathering. And looking at what we do during this time, why do we gather, and why does it matter? And so I'm going to, as we, this morning is really, the heart of this morning is to give you a little bit of a a jumping off point for us to to start over the next five weeks as we discuss. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to discuss about us being a collective and coming together and being a body. We're going to talk about um, reading God's Word. We're going to talk about shared purpose. There's lots of things that we're going to discuss, but I thought this morning as we kick this series off, it's important for us to have a starting point of some sorts, a jumping off place, so to speak. And so um, I, I was just looking this week, and there's a, I'm going to share some numbers with you, some statistics as we start, and they're probably not going to surprise you, but, it, but they're statistics that point to the shrinking church. So we are part of uh, the, the Christian church around the world 
but more importantly here in the United States is a, is a shrinking body in a lot of ways. And so I'm just going to read some statistics just to give us an idea of what that looks like and what I'm talking about. So uh, I looked up a few different studies. There were, there were some that was done by Barna and some, some others that were older that were kind of 10 plus years old. And so I looked at two studies that were more recent, one that was done this past year and one that was done about five years ago. And the first, one of the things that they pointed out um, is that church membership is declining fast. And I know that for us, I mean, as a church at the Vessel, we don't have a membership process. And so if you were answering a survey and they asked you the question, are you a member of a church, you might likely answer no. But, but the idea is still the same. And it shows that in 1999, from 1999 to 2019, the past 20 years, that church membership declined from 70% in the United States to 50% which I was surprised, first of all, that 70% of the population said that they were a member of a church. Um, but they showed that that number's declining. The, the, the second stat that, that that same study showed is that the people that identify themselves as non-religious, as non-religious, has doubled in that same amount of time. The past 20 years, it's, it's gone from 8% to 16%. And then again, you could talk about religion, and Jesus didn't speak too highly of religion in a lot of ways. But still, the, the, the principle and the idea is the same, is that, that that number is going down. And then the last study that I looked at that was uh, completed about 2010—no, um, no, it was 2015— um, it said that church participation, and this one to me was much more alarming. It said church participation among Christians is dropping. So people that identify themselves as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, their participation in the, the, the church setting, in, a, in an organized congregational setting like we are here, is going down. And this, to me, was the most alarming. It has dropped all the way down to 17.7% of people regularly, regularly attend church. And uh, it broke it down by generation. It says the greatest... Um, uh, the greatest violators of this is the millennial generation, which I read and I thought, of course, millennials, they're not going to church. But then I look at the years, and 1980 counts as a millennial. I'm like, oh, so young people like me are not going to church. And so then I felt good about it because I felt like I was considered a millennial. So, you know, young people like myself and my generation is, uh, are the greatest violators of not participating in church. And that's not the case for us. And so don't hear me say anything like if you're, if you're young like me and you're here and uh, I'm not talking about you. Our, the, the people that would be classified as millennials in our church are some of our, our, the people that serve the most, that are, that are um, participate in what we're doing both on Sunday mornings and in our small groups and in our mission around here in Austin, around the world. So um, that's not necessarily ours. And the funny thing was this past week, I went, and I, I was driving around, and I had some meetings, and I had about an hour and some change between meetings. Um, so I had some information about our church in my car. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go pass out some flyers. I'm going to hit the streets. I'm going to knock on some doors. It was like, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And so I stopped in this little neighborhood that's just a stone's throw over, and um, you know, just knocked on doors and invited people to church. And I got just a wide range of like, oh yeah, I'm interested. And thank you. That's, you know, super nice. I tried to find people that were close. I said, we're neighbors. We're right down the street too. People that just, as soon as they answered the door, they just shook their head. No word, no response. I was like, hey, good morning. No, no. She just shook her head. I was like, okay, 
All right, thank you. And so I have more sympathy for those that go door to door. But I, I, I did talk to this one guy, and he was this guy named Bob. He was in his 70s, and he told me all about how he was super nice, and he just wanted to talk to someone. And, man, we talked about politics, and we talked about the education system and government debt. And, and he told me all about how that um, aliens, that we are a product of aliens. And, and who existed before God? Aliens did. So aliens put God here. And so it was, it was funny because he was definitely not a millennial, but I, I, would, I would assume to say that he classified himself as non-religious because, um, but it, it was interesting. He was a sweet guy, wanted to talk, super friendly, super kind to me. And so he told me he would tell his girlfriend about our church because she might be interested. He definitely would not, but he was nice nonetheless. But um, and the same study showed that um, they, they, when they looked at churches, in America, that only 6% of American churches are growing. 6% are growing. Isn't that crazy? They said, they said that um, they're, every year 4,000 churches close their door and only 1,000 ch- new church plants begin. And it shows you the decline of church participation in our country. And, and I found that alarming. And you know, if, if you know me, you know that those people that don't know Jesus Christ— that would define themselves as non-religious or atheist or agnostic or, or of another religion, they don't scare me. I love, I have a heart as of an evangelist. I, I love people deeply that don't know Jesus. Um, but but it's, the, it's those that call themselves Christians that aren't participating is probably, to me, the most alarming. And man, you think about the area that we're in, in North Austin, Georgetown, Cedar Park, Round Rock, Fleurville. It's some of the fastest growing area of the entire country that this area is exploding with growth. Just ask anybody who's trying to buy a house. And that the, the, the area is just growing so quickly. And that, that we not only are the, is the church not growing, but not much less when you compare it to the growth of our country. And so I think it's really important, and I think that some of it that we've got lost on and some of the, the problem with, with how we view church is understanding why we do what we do, why we gather here on Sunday mornings. And so that's what we're going to look at. And, and I want to first and foremost present the argument for us not together. Because the truth is, if you take an honest look at things, there's a lot of valid argument as to why we shouldn't gather why we shouldn't gather, first of all, is uh, Netflix, right? I mean, Netflix, you can watch Netflix and have an endless stream of really great content and lots of, lots of things to watch, and there's always a new series, and there's always a new show. I mean, Stranger Things, right? There's always something. And so we live in a society and a culture that we have more entertainment at our fingertips than ever before, we have more entertainment at our fingertips than ever before. I've been watching, if you are an NBA fan, you've seen free agency has been nuts. And it's like, you know, the finals are over in the middle of summer, and I'm reading constantly and listening about the NBA. But our lives are so busy. Not only are they busy with the things that we do, not only are they busy with our jobs and our children and our careers and opportunities to go out, but they're, they're, they're busy with, with our, our computer that's in our pocket. And any, any moment that we have, we can scroll this thing and find endless forms of, of entertainment. 
And so there's a lot competing against Sunday mornings. There's a lot of reason for people to say, you know, I've been going all week. I, 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 I've, I've had a busy week at work. I had a wedding last night, and I'm going to sleep in on Sunday morning, and we're going to veg out and, and watch, you know, some sort of sports or something on Netflix. And so there's a lot that's vying for our attention. On top of that, on top of that, I think another thing, another good reason not to gather and for you not to come to church is that now more than ever, there are, there are so many more resources available to us to explore Christianity and to grow in our faith, which is incredible and really powerful. But anyone, it doesn't matter what context you have about Jesus or what context you have about faith in Christ or the church or the Bible, it doesn't matter if you've never opened the pages of a Bible before. There's more resources at your fingertips than ever before for you to explore on your own, which I think is good. And if you are sitting here today or, or you are listening, I want you to know that if you, if you are curious and you are seeking, I want to encourage you to do that, encourage you to get online, encourage you to read your Bible and look at resources. Because I believe that if you're truly seeking, at the end of that journey, you will land on Jesus Christ. But... but it, you think about when the Gutenberg Bible, if you, go to, if you go down to the University of Texas, they have a copy of the Gutenberg Bible. When the Gutenberg Bible was printed, and in the, the Roman Catholic Church, the early church, the Bible would be chained to the altar because it was so expensive, so hard to get a copy of the Word of God. So there was no ability for you to take that Word home and to read for your own. Right? You think how far that we've come from a Bible that's literally chained to the altar to that, that regardless of you have a paper Bible, you can download a free app on your phone and find resources about investigating Christianity. And there's podcasts. Why come on Sunday morning and hear me teach? There are people out there. There are people out there that are more gifted teachers than me, that know more than me, that have more time to prepare than me, and you can choose from any of them. You can choose from whatever preacher you like, and you can not only choose what preacher you like, you can choose the passage of Scripture or the topic or the series that you're interested in finding out. And so why come on Sunday mornings and hear me? That, 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 that on top of my job of preparing a message, I've got a million other things to do, like we all do, right? We're all busy. Because there are wonderful pastors and preachers out there that devote 40 hours plus a week to just preparing their message. And then you think about worship. We come into here, and our worship team did such a beautiful job of preparing to lead us and guide us this morning. But you can go home to the comfort of your own home. You can download Spotify for $10 a month, which is, is a lot less than if you're really participating in church. You can download Spotify for $10 a month, and you can listen to an endless whatever worship music you want to. And you can have your cup of coffee and your socks and no makeup, and you can sit on your couch, and you can worship to your heart's desire. From whatever worship leader, you don't have to do four or five songs. You can do eight or 10 or 25 songs. So I want you to think about that. Is it like, let's take an honest look and let's be real. There's lots of good reason for us not to gather. And let's get that out of the way and let's acknowledge that first. So if you, if you know someone that's struggling to participate in church, I, I want you to have empathy for them and understand. But, but as we get into this series, I think it's important for us to look beyond these really valid reasons and take a hard look at why do we gather? What's the purpose of our time this morning? And so um, 
If you are here and, and, and you're not a part of a vessel or you're listening online, I want you to know that, that one of our core values is humility. One of our four core values here is humility. And one way that looks is it means that we submit ourselves to the Word of God. It means that we look at this book as the, the perfect and inerrant Word of God that is God-breathed, that is living. And so as we try to find this morning a starting place for us to move forward in this series, we're going to look at what Scripture says, and we're going to submit ourselves humbly to what Scripture says, not what culture says, not how we feel, but what Scripture says. So with that said, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in and read Scripture and uh, uh, get going. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, I do thank you for the gathering. I thank you for the tension in that, Jesus. For us, Lord, I thank you that, that there, there are things to think about in our lives and things to consider. And I just pray, Jesus, um, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that you would, you would speak through me. And Jesus, I just pray for the next six weeks of this as we jump in, that you give us a really healthy view about why we gather, not according to ourselves, but according to you. So I just pray that as we open your word, God, that you're living God-breathed word, be your living God-breathed word. Soften our hearts for those of us and that are in this room or are listening this morning that don't know you as our Lord and Savior. Jesus, we just ask you to do what only you can do and move in a powerful and for a significant way. God, give me the uh, spirit of humility. Uh, we give this time to you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be at two different places of Scripture this morning. So we're going to look at Old Testament and New Testament. So I'm going to tell you where we're going to be. You can bookmark both of those if you want. The first place we're going to be reading is out of Second Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6. So it's Old Testament. It's towards the beginning of your Bible. If you kind of go, if you cut the Bible in half and start going left past Psalms and all that, you're going to get to Second Chronicles. The next place we're going to be reading is out of Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. So first we're going to reread it out of 2 Chronicles, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 15. And while y'all are turning there, marking those pages, uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, if you would raise your hand, we have guest services team, um, Shay Shay will bring you a Bible, or Kay will bring you a Bible, and, um, or you can pull it up in your phone, or if you brought your word of Scripture, that'd be awesome. So 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and I'll give you a little bit of context while you're turning there. Um, I know, and, and, and a little bit of caveat, the Old Testament can be intimidating, right? When we, when we open the Word of God, when we spend time in our quiet time, the Old Testament can be very intimidating to us because it reads like this epic tale and this epic journey and it's generation after generation, hundreds of thousands of years of this, of this thread and this truth and this epic tale. And so um, one way for you and speaking of resources online, for you to, there, there's great ways for you to go and to break that down and to understand how Scripture is laid out. And so the Old Testament, it's laid out. It's the, the, the beginning of the Old Testament is uh, the, the law of Moses. And then it goes into history. And so Second Chronicles is part of history, a portion of the Old Testament. And then it goes into, um, it goes into what, is, what are the poetic books of the Old Testament, then uh, minor and major prophets. And so Second Chronicles is, is in the history portion. And it's this long, beautiful tale of God and God's people and this relationship that they have and, and, and how that unfolds over time and what the Lord does in and through his people. So Second Chronicles, we find 
a guy named Solomon. And Solomon is the son of King David. And so even if you don't know much about the Old Testament and Scripture, you probably have heard of King David, David and Goliath. Um, And Solomon is his son. And so Solomon was an incredible king, probably the wealthiest king uh, of all time. And so we find in Second Chronicles chapter 6, what's happened up until this point is that Solomon's been rebuilding, has been building the temple, has been building the temple of God. And these are, these are, this was set, in, set to him to do by his father and by God, and, and this, was, this is what God tasked him to do. And so Second Chronicles reads a lot like an instruction book on how to build a temple. And it's not that detailed, but it's pretty detailed about the measurements and the materials and how it was built and who he had built it. And so we arrive in chapter 6. The temple has been built, and then Solomon goes to dedicate the temple. Now, what I want you to think about in the context of gathering is to look at how gathering was an important part of God's people in the Old Testament. And so if you think about how the disciples and Jesus viewed gathering, this is their context. This was their Bible. This was, this was, this was um, their original Hebrew Old Testament Bible, and this is how they saw. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through, starting in verse 12 through 14, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands. Now, he had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had placed in the center of the, placed it in the center of the outer court. He stood on the platform, and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. He said, "Lord, the God of Israel, there is no god like you in heaven or on earth." You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your ways. And, and he begins this beautiful prayer. And I encourage you after the, this evening or after you get home and um, this afternoon to take a moment and to read through this beautiful, it's just gorgeous prayer that Solomon prays after spending spending time and, and years building this temple, and he prays over and dedicates this temple. And I just love Solomon's heart. Even in the Old Testament, you're, you can read through here, and you can see in his prayer of dedication, he prays for foreigners that don't know the Lord. He prays, Lord, would this be a place that you're honored? Would this be a place that you're, that you're glorified? That, that as foreigners come, that they would come and see you, that they would be in your presence. And this idea of a dwelling place was real for them. Because if you know and you go through the story of God's people, you see that they, they, and what they literally do in this temple is they bring in the Ark of the Covenant, right? They bring in the Ark of the Covenant, and they've been falling around the, the, this Ark, and God's presence has, been, presence has been there and has been guiding them. And so they build this temple exactly to God's specifications so that God could dwell in this place, so that God can dwell in this place. And, and there's, there's a word here that's said twice um, in, in both verse 13, uh, verse 12 and verse 13. And it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. And then it goes on uh, in verse 13. It says, He stood on the platform, then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands, hands towards heaven. This word, assembly, and so this is, this is a, a Hebrew word. This is the Hebrew Bible. The, the, the word is kehal. And what it literally means, what it literally translates into in English and into Greek, 
is, is a, an assembly. It's accurately translated into assembly or a congregation or a company of people. So this idea of them gathering and bringing God's people into a congregation was significant and real for them. And so the, the, the Jews had a real sense of what gathering looked like. So I know that our Bible, as we read Scripture, we read a translated version of Scripture. And so just so you know, as did the, the Jews in the New Testament, that they had the, the New Testament is Greek, and so their, their Bible was translated from Hebrew. And so they were also reading a translated version of the Bible. And so you can see here that even in the, the creation of the temple, even in the Old Testament, even in God's people, this was God's divine plan and divine design for his people to gather in his name in this temple. And I encourage you to read on through Chronicles 6, 7, and 8, and you see that God answers Solomon and says, because you have been so faithful and because you have been so obedient, I will dwell in this place. And as people wait, come here, they will know that I am the Lord. And so as we, as we think about that contextually, as we think about us gathering, I want you to first understand that this is not something that we have just arbitrarily done. We didn't just decide that we should meet on Sundays, that this was a good time, and uh, we could, maybe we could read Scripture, maybe we could worship, that this is, this is divine. And so we're a part of something much greater, that God's people have been gathering in His name, in His presence for thousands of years even back before Jesus Christ ever walked this earth. So now let's fast forward to the New Testament, to Acts chapter 15. And so we see that there's a major shift here. And if, you, if you've read much uh, on the New Testament or about Jesus Christ, you can see that there's a significant shift here, is that God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And you know uh, that how much adversaries and how much conflict Jesus walked into. And so Jesus comes in in Acts chapter 15, and we see this shift in the gathering. We see it from this temple to now they're gathering, uh, in a lot of ways, they're gathering underneath trees, and they're gathering on the, on the, sh- the banks of, of, uh, of, of the lake. They're, they're gathering in lots of different contexts. And so Jesus immediately begins to push against what they knew. Everything that the, G- the Jews knew, Jesus challenges all those things. Uh, as, as, as gathering was this really sacred place that you had to go to the temple, you had to follow these rituals and these rites to enter, even enter in uh, to God's presence. And now Jesus has come in, and he's disrupted all that. He's pushed against all of that. And uh, the, the very people that hated Jesus and put him on the cross were the people that, that guarded and protected those laws and those rules of gathering so significantly. And so if we read in, in Acts chapter 15, I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, the, in, 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 Acts, in, in Acts alone, um, the word church, or this gathering, which we're going to look at is the word ekklesia, is, is, is the word ekklesia. It's a Greek word, and it literally means gathering. And this word alone is mentioned um, over 114 times in the New Testament and 23 times in Acts. And so Acts is the start of the church. This is after Jesus has come. It's after his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's the beginning of the church. And so as Jesus came and pushed against all that, uh, and, and, and if you read through how the temple was built, it talks about the veil, right? The veil, and behind that was the, the holiest of holy places. 
and only the, the most religious, the, the most religious elite could enter into that area. And so it, when we think about veil, a lot of times we think about a wedding, right? We think about a see-through you know, veil you put over your face, and you think about a, the veil of a bride being torn, right? That doesn't take a lot of effort, a lot of energy. It's brittle. It's a weak fabric. But the veil of the temple, they said that it was, the, that it was as thick as a phone book, that's how, that's, how, that's how big and thick the veil was. It was as thick as a phone book. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, Scripture says that the veil was torn. The veil was torn as thick as a phone book, was torn down the middle. And now anyone could enter into the presence of God. And so, so you see why Jesus pushed so hard against everything that they had known and everything that they had done before. So, so Jesus tears this veil, and before that, only the religious leaders could, could enter into this veil. And they would literally, they would tie a rope around. So when, when they would go in behind the veil, right, when the, when the priests are going behind the veil, they would tie a, a rope to their ankle. So as they entered into the presence of God, in case they were struck with death, just from being in the presence of God, they had something to drag them out. Because they didn't want to go behind the veil to retrieve the priest. So they would drag them out by rope. And so this was a significant, the, the fact that the veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross. And now anyone could enter into the presence of God was significant. And so Acts, we see the church blow up in Acts. And so Acts chapter 15, uh, 41 through chapter 16, verse 5. And just as uh, uh, a caveat, Scripture wasn't written, you know, when, 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 when the book of Acts was written, it wasn't written with chapters and verses. Man put that in there later. So uh, beginning in cha- Acts chapter 15, verse 41 through 16, 5, it says this. And this is about Paul, and Paul is traveling, and he's encouraging, helping build up the body of Christ in the churches, in the New Testament church. It says, he went through Syria uh, and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where the disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived there in that area, for they knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered their decision reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And so you see twice in this scripture, in verse 41, and then again in verse 5, the word church. And, and the first time that we ever see church, the word church in the Bible is in the New Testament, where, where Jesus says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And this word is ecclesia, and it's a Greek word, and is literally translated to in a, Greek, in a, in a Christian sense. It's, it's an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. It's, a, it's an accompany of Christians or those who, hoping for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, observe their own religious rites, hold their own religious meetings, and manage their own religious affairs according to regulations prescribed for the body for order's sake. So it's the exact thing that we're doing here. And so as we take that word ecclesia and translate it to church, and we call ourselves a church, that is what we're talking about. When we gather in church, it's about bringing people together. It's about bringing God's people together in an assembly. 
And we can get mistaken. We, we can get wrapped up in this idea of church being a place or a location or a building or it's something to go to. And we rarely think about it being something that we are. And so we, we see this in Acts. And so now, 2,000 years later, as we still gather to think about this idea that the same thing that happened in the Old Testament that was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, speaking of the law of Moses. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when Jesus came and he died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and the veil was torn, it wasn't to abolish everything that God has done. It was to fulfill what God has done and fulfill his promises. And so I think that that's important for us to understand and realize just for some context as we move forward that this is bigger than us, that this is more significant um, than we do. And so uh, just I want to read a few takeaways this morning. And so I, I have three takeaways I want to start with as we think about gathering in that context with that mind and the precedent of Old Testament and the precedent of New Testament. The first is this, is that when we gather, we gather with intention that is not done haphazardly, that we don't just come into this room and say, yeah, we'll, we'll gather, we'll, we'll, we'll meet, 10 o'clock sounds fine. It's not, it's not haphazardly done. It's, that it's done with intention. If you read... Second Chronicles chapter 2 through 4, you see that, that every detail with how the temple is built, how Solomon hired the right people, chose the right material, measured it out just properly, exactly how it was supposed to meet. In the same way, we gather on Sunday mornings, not just arbitrarily. We don't just put our services together. And, and have worship and have prayer and have teaching and have fellowship just because that sounds like a good idea. We do it with intention. And so, you know, Gary and I, as, as, as that's our task. As Gary leads worship and I leave the teaching, that, that is our job and our role is, is to seek the Lord for what this looks like on Sunday morning. And it's so funny as both Gary and I are new to this in a lot of ways, um, we, we, we try to put effort in. I try to communicate to Gary what I'm teaching, but uh, I talked to Gary this week and he's like, oh, I don't worry about what you're teaching anymore because I know it'll change last minute or I won't get it to him in the right time. But what we've seen is as we both go to the Lord in prayer, seeking him for God, what do you want to teach us this morning? What do you want to say to us, to this body through your word? And as Gary says, God, where, where are we in worship? God, what are, we, what are we looking at and worshiping you and thanking you for? It's amazing how every week those two points meet. How every week, I can tell Gary, I told Gary we met up here for an event at the YMCA on Friday, and I started just sharing with him my heart and what I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And he's just laughing. He's like, brother, that's exactly where I am. I'm on the same page. We're worshiping about freedom and worship about Jesus. And it's amazing how, how perfectly God places those together. And it's not man's best plan. It's the plan from the Lord. And so we, we gather with intention. You think about last Sunday when we did the, the when we had the Next Generation Sunday. As Sean and I were talking this week about that. And we looked at the list and all these people that are participating. We've got, you know, uh, middle schoolers and elementary and college age and post-college. And we have all these transitions. And you look at it on paper, you're like, this is going to be a disaster, right? We prayerfully put this together. And we have all these people participating. And then in, 
as if the Lord was in it, it comes together perfectly. And it's incredible that when we meet and what we do in here is with intention. The second takeaway I think is important as we look at Old Testament and New Testament precedent for our gathering is that we gather with our best. Not only do we gather with intention and in what we do, but we gather with our best. So, so as you read those Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 2 through 4, and you see the specifications, don't mistake those for a formula. And that, that's, a, that's a tendency that we do a lot is we think if we could just get the formula right, if we could just have their chairs at the right angle or the lights at the right temperature or play the right songs at the right tempo or pace, that that's the magic formula. So when we say that we, be, we bring our best, we're not talking about production. We're not talking about saying the right things or playing the right songs or doing, doing it in the, the right or appropriate way so that, that we get God's presence in here. And that God looks at he's like, ah, you were almost there, but you messed up this one thing. I'm not, I'm not in. Right? We bring our best. Is that when Gary prepares, when I prepare, when you prepare to come in, are you bringing your best? Am I coming in ready to teach? Have I been praying and seeking the Lord for what he wants to say? Have I been studying his word? Have I, have I been doing everything I can to make sure that I'm not in the way to prevent God of what he's doing? We are bringing our best. You know, it's, it's when we've done, we've had some different Sundays around here in the past six months. Uh, we had last Sunday, as I mentioned, we had our next gen service. And, and we walked away from that. And it was just powerful how the Lord landed in that. And people came there, man, we got to do this every month. We got to have the kids all speak. I'm like, wait, you're going to put me out of a job. But, you know, like we ought to do this every month. And it's just incredible. And then uh, a few months ago, we had uh, an acoustic unplugged Sunday. And we didn't have a screen. We didn't have any amplification. And we, we set the chairs up kind of in a horseshoe and had a rug and just did unplugged worship. And it was powerful. And people were like, oh, we got to do this every Sunday. We got we to set the chairs up like that. Like, that's perfect if we could just have them around and more intimate. We got to do this every Sunday. And the same thing when we did our dual language service with the Unity Bible. It's just powerful. We had teaching from Diego that was translated. We worshiped in English and Spanish. People walked away saying, that was amazing. That was incredible. We should do that every Sunday. We should become a dual language, a bilingual church. And all of those things are good. And I want that. I want to do dual language more. I want to do uh, unplugged Sundays. I want to have our, our, our children and our youth teaching us and sharing their hearts and testimonies. I want those things. But what the problem is, is what you're, what we're mistaking something. We're mistaking formula for God's presence, or we're mistaking, we're mistaking God's presence for formula. What we think is, man, if we could just set the chairs up differently, then I would feel this feeling and I would experience this thing. And the truth is, is that when we come in on those Sundays where we're ready it's different. Where it, something has been set up differently, right? Someone different is teaching. And so what we're doing is we're paying close attention to those things. But the truth is, is that what you're noticing and what you're falling in love with and what you're moved by is not a chair being set up. It's not a certain language that you're singing in. It's not a certain age of the person that's teaching or sharing their heart. It's the presence of the Lord, that we are his dwelling place, that just like Solomon put the temple together with per perfect specifications, that's what the Lord does in us. 
We are vessel collective church. We are called to be vessels. We are the temple that just as Solomon put all of that together perfectly, that's what the Lord does in us. He puts every one of us in the perfect place with intention. And so our call is when we come in on Sunday mornings to bring our best. And the third thing that we notice out of this is that we gather with reverence. We gather with reverence. And I think in a lot of ways, this one is lost on us. As, as, as Christian culture has shifted, and don't mistake, there is Christian culture. And that doesn't mean it's good. But as Christian culture has shifted, that a lot of ways the reverence of meeting with God and being in his presence is lost on us. And I think that if you've grown up in any sort of liturgical church with a lot of liturgy and a lot of rules and a lot of repetition, you may have baggage from that. And so I do want to be sensitive to that because I get that. And so a lot of times that, that we come in with this bag is that if we've, we've been in a really liturgical church, you've got to stand, you've got to kneel, you've got to say this thing, and you've got to say this right thing, or you, gotta, you can take communion this way, but not this way. There's all these rules and regulations that do feel formulaic. And so when we think about reverence of the Lord, we think about that in an unhealthy way. And I, in, in a lot of ways, it's like the pendulum of Christian culture has swung the other way too far. So I want you to know that what we see here in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that when we gather, we gather with reverence. And think about it like this. If you, were to, if you, if you, if you knew that you were going to come on Sunday mornings and you were going to come here and there was going to be someone that you regarded with respect and reverence, whether that's our president or whether that's our last president, depending on how you feel, but if you were coming in here and there was someone like that that you thought deserved your uttermost respect and reverence, how would you walk in different? How would you approach Sundays different? If you knew someone famous, the most famous person that you most desired to hear from and to be with was going to be at the Chasco YMCA, 10 o'clock, Sunday, July 24th, 21st, excuse me, it's Sunday. How would, you, how would you approach it differently? How would you walk in different? That's what reverence looks like. And reverence is a posture with which we take. It's not rules and regulations that we are to follow. This is a come-as-you-are place. There's no rule about what you have to wear. I don't put on a gown. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have some sort of rituals that we are to follow so that God's presence will be here. But what reverence is, is reverence is a posture before the Lord. And reverence is of the spirit, not of the flesh. You see, the, what the flesh looks like in reverence is that you have it all together, that you're buttoned up, that you're ready to go, and that you've got no problem, no sin, no issue in your life, that you're ready, you've been reading your Bible, and here I am, and I've come. That's what, that's what reverence in the flesh looks like. But reverence in the spirit means that you come in with a contrite heart. It's the posture of a contrite heart. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise you. And I love that idea of having a contrite heart as we come before the Lord in reverence. So as we close, 
this morning, I want to tell you a couple things. Um, the first is this, is I want to encourage you, things that you can do right now today, I want to encourage you to, first of all, do a self-evaluation. Take an honest, hard look at yourself. And ask yourself, as I, as I think about the gathering, as I come on Sunday mornings, how do I walk in? Do I walk in with the spirit of humility? Do I walk in with reverence and with intention? And do I bring my best before God? Are you, are you dragging out of bed, reluctantly going to church because you know you should and you weren't there last week? You know, getting there late, fussing on, man, the donut holes. All the kids ate the donut holes. What am I going to eat now? Jorge hadn't got the coffee here on time. What am I, you know, are you walking in with that spirit, right, of self-evaluation? I want to tell you, as a human being, not even a Christ follower, as a human being, self-awareness is one of, in my opinion, one of the most valuable and powerful tools. If you can take an honest look at who you are, and you can see the good, and you can see the bad, and you can see the ugly. That is powerful. So this morning, when you think about the gathering, I want you to think about that. Do a self-evaluation on my, on, on, do a self-evaluation. As I come into the gathering, what is my posture? What does it look like? And I, and I don't want to shame anyone. Shame is not of the Lord. Shame is of the enemy, Period. So there, they, this isn't to make you feel bad. This isn't to make you feel shameful. But if you knew you were meeting with the God of the heavens and the earth, your Lord and Savior, the Creator, I mean, yeah, would you think, man, I'm kind of tired. I stayed up watching Stranger Things last night to one. I'm going to skip it. Like, would, would, that, would that be your priority? Would it be like, oh, man, you know, I can get there 10, 15, 10, 30, ain't no sweat. I'll just roll in whenever. You know, is that the way you come in? And the second thing is this, I want to encourage you, is to make a change. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and we're going to, we're, they're going to close us out with a song of worship. But I want you to think this, is ask yourself, I can make a change today. Today I can make a change. If I can do a self-evaluation and honestly look at my life and how I walk in, I can make a change. And, and you know, I know this is silly, right? I know it's silly. But one of my things is I love the UFC. If you know anything about me, I love the UFC. And one of my, the hardest things for me is UFC is, UFC fights are when? Are Saturday night and they're late. And so that, that's so hurtful and frustrating because I want to watch you. I want to stay up late and I want to watch those fights. And I know that's silly, right? But to me, like I think that's, like I could stay up late and I could stay up till midnight or one o'clock and I could watch whatever fight I want to watch. But I'm not ready on Sunday. I'm not ready. And that's a change I can make in my life is I can, I can not watch those. I can say, you know what? It's not worth it. And again, I know that's silly, but every one of us can make a change. Prioritize the gathering. Make coming into here a priority in your life. And if you have to take things out, then take things out. If you have something better to do than to meet with God, by all means, I want to know. But if you don't, then prioritize this time. The second is, I, I mean, other, other ways you can make it. Go listen. Go listen online. We've got our messages up right now. If you have Spotify, search Vessel Collective Church and subscribe to our messages. And then if you are out for a valid reason, you're traveling, you have work, you have a sick child at home, you can stay up to date with what's going on so that next Sunday, if I'm going to miss 
If I'm going to miss on the 28th of July, but I'm going to be there in August, I'm going to be ready in August. I'm going to know what I missed. So I come in and I'm ready. We put the Scripture in the newsletter every week. Go online right now. Subscribe to our newsletter. Subscribe to our newsletter. And you can read the Scripture before you come in. That's allowed. That's not cheating. You can come ready to worship. We have a Spotify playlist, and we put our worship set on every week. I hear, oh, well, these are new songs. I don't know these songs very well. Well, guess what? I've been listening to to this worship set all week, and I come in, and I am ready. I'm ready to worship because I've been prepared. And so there's a change that you can make in your life, and I want to encourage you to find out whatever that is. I'm going to pray, and let's worship, and let's just thank God for gathering with us. I mean, who are we? Who are we to, st- to stand at his, in his presence? Dear Lord, I thank you, Jesus. God, that you gather with us. God, that we don't gather alone. That we gather in your presence. And I thank you of your perfection in that. Jesus, I, I thank you that coming before you, And gathering in your name is something that was done hundreds and thousands of years before us and that we get to participate in. That the God that created the heavens and the earth, that existed when there was a void, is with us on Sunday mornings. Is meeting with us, that knows our hearts, that knows every hair on our head. God, I pray for those that are in this room right now that do not know you as Lord and Savior. God, would you move in a powerful way at this very moment? God, would you break through in their life? Not because a word that's said or a specific song that's led or a prayer that we pray in a specific way, but because they stand in your presence and they say, surely God is among them. Let's stand and worship. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.